Okay. Um, be able to teach probably, uh, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes. We'll see how we go. And then uh, there is uh, Yucatan pulled pork uh, out there and all the other things that are, are there. So this should, be, this should be really good. So, all right. One of, the, one of the fun parts about studying, oh, uh, let, let me just mention, I, you, you know that uh, I've been drawn heavily um, from uh, Brother Wayman's uh, book, uh, his, the, the new translation of the New Testament. Uh, I heard him in a podcast mention two interesting things. Uh, the church has just published a new edition in Spanish uh, and they bought a new translation uh, to translate it into Spanish from. And in other words, they didn't take the new Spanish translation from the King James Version. It's from, it's from a more modern uh, translation. Uh, uh, and then they've just done the same thing in Portuguese for Brazil. So in other words, you're seeing the newer uh, translations where they're not necessarily drawing from King James. We've loved King James. We revere its poetry, but we, we're also afraid that we lose an awful lot of people because they have a hard time negotiating through 16th century Queen's English. And the fact that we're now getting these newer translations doesn't diminish uh, at all the, the message. And so that's why I love stuff like uh, Brother Wayman's uh, book because he also has the Joseph Smith translations in there and he's just done an excellent job. By the way, Brother Wayman again will be here the second week of August, I think, for the uh, Miller-Eccles uh, fireside. Uh, when, that, when that comes, I will I'll probably send out, since it'll be before we meet again, I will send out a message just to, to let you know that he's going to be here. That's usually a Saturday evening. Uh, well, there's usually, yeah, that's right, it is. It's a Friday night, and then usually a Saturday uh, fireside in Arlington, which he's not going to be doing this time. He didn't have time to do the Arlington, so if you're going to hear him, it's going to need to be at uh, the Eccles fireside. So, all right, that said. So, let's take a look uh, at uh, the Samaritans. We were looking, when we started the semester... We we're talking about the different groups that were there in, in, in the time of Jesus. And one that we didn't spend hardly any time with was the Samaritans, because I knew this stuff was coming up here. So, a couple of things about uh, the Samaritans. Um, right off the bat, any uh, historians that know who the Samaritans were, genealogy-wise? Read the PowerPoint uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that was funny. Okay. Thank you. I got to quit doing that, right? <laughs> uh, okay. Actually, the Samaritans were uh, descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. They were part of the original uh, ten tribes that were hauled off into Assyria and there were a number that were left behind, primarily farmers and those working the land. I mean if you're a, again, if you're a conquering entity like the Assyrians, um, you want to leave, you're going to take off some of the princes and money and stuff like that, but leave the farmers. 
because you can still get tributes from them and grain from them and crops from them. So they would leave a number of people. They wouldn't just scour and take everybody and kill everybody. Now you got nothing but, great, we conquered barren land. with. So you want to leave people that produce. So there were, when the ten tribes were taken, there were a number of the remainders of Ephraim and Manasseh that were still in that upper part alongside the Galilee. Uh, now what the, the Assyrians did do when they hauled the ten tribes off though is they reached out and they bring in, they bring in Persians and others and mixed them with, and they, they came in and then they, of course they started intermarrying with that. So, so those Samaritans at the time of Jesus were a mix of kind of pagans that have been out there but but they were but the Samaritans themselves especially those close to Mount Gerizim that we're going to talk about were very proud of their heritage and they saw themselves very much as Israelite okay and it's, and it is interesting that we have tri, uh, descendants of Ephraim that he's going to go uh, talk to so they mixed with the Persians brought in during the exile so remember they're in exile in uh, for about 80 years and then uh, Cyrus lets them loose and they come back and the Jews coming back weren't very hospitable to the Samaritans that were still there because they were now pagan they had been married uh, they weren't carried off to exile uh, it's like in the early days of the church there was this mix after about the uh, when, at, when the railroad finally came through to Utah there was always kind of a mix pride-wise between those that were like days of 47 pioneers. We, we, you know, we, we hauled stuff over the plains versus you guys rode the train all the way to Utah. You're not, you're not as pioneerish as us. So there was a certain attitude towards the Samaritans of you didn't go off to exile and experience all of that. So when they come back and they want to rebuild the temple and the Samaritans are saying, we'd kind of like to help. And they're like, go away. We, you know, we're not, we don't want anything from you. So the Samaritans then build their own temple on top of Mount Gerizim because they believe that that was kind of an inspired place anyway. So now we kind of have competing temples. Uh, and then, then sometime about a couple of decades before Christ, the Samaritans came down and, and uh, uh, did some destruction in the temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And, and the uh, Hasmoneans uh, responded by destroying the temple on top of Samaria. And it's never been rebuilt up there. Okay. So uh, by belief, though, they did believe in the Pentateuch. And that means they believed in the five the first five books of the Bible. So we're going to believe in all of the kind of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we'll throw in Moses. After that, anybody after Moses, we don't believe. Okay? We're not going to believe in the prophets. We're going to believe in the Pentateuch. And that's, so basically that's who they were and still are. Okay? Now, Mount Gerizim, just going to prompt, prominently feature here was believed to be a holy mountain and they did build a temple now their belief through the Pentateuch was the idea that there was a Messiah coming but he wouldn't be a conqueror Messiah he would be a teacher Messiah he would teach them about eternal life 
and they were waiting for the return of the Christ. And to the Samaritans, the Christ was a, a great teacher that would come and bring them salvation, but wouldn't necessarily conquer the, the Romans or anything like that. So, okay, does that make sense? Okay. So, we're going to, so in setting this up, um, this is Mount Gerizim on this side, and you get this, this, uh, the little town, and in this little area right here, uh, are is uh, where we're going to show up here. There is a couple of small towns. There's the well of Jacob, uh, the actual well of Jacob that he dug uh, for his family and for his crops, stuff like that. And it's and it's not it's not that far away from the the bones of Joseph, the tomb of Joseph, that is right there. Um, that's, that's all in that small area. Uh, now, it is interesting. One other thing I'll, I'll, I'll throw at you. This whole area is not too far away from the ancient city of Samaria. Uh, Samaria was actually built up by Herod. Uh, he built a, a, an old Roman city, Samaria, and, and, and always the, the great politician. Herod then, on top of the, uh, Samaria, right at the edge of it, um, the the uh, Caesar at that time was Augustus Caesar, and what he did is because Augustus was the uh, the son of Julius Caesar, who had been declared divine, that made Augustus Caesar Caesar the son of God. So so Herod the politician then constructs a massive statue of Caesar on the far edge of the ridge of Samaria and it was so big that when the Romans would sail into Caesarea Maritima right on the coast even though it was 20 miles off they could look and see the statue of the son of God on the ridge okay so that would warm them oh and Herod built that oh okay good guy we like him so, so that made, now the Samaritans didn't necessarily believe in, in a, the pagan, they, they still believed that they were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're still in this world where the Son of God is sitting on this ridgetop and that the Romans are all kind of flocking to that. That's the area we're talking about. And it's so filled with all of this that generally what happens when the Jews would travel so Samaria sits here, and you'd have the Galilee up here. Jerusalem is down here. They would go. They would cross over the, the Jordan, the Transjordan, and go up the, the east side of the Jordan, and then pop up over here, so they wouldn't have to go into Samaritan lands. Don't want to. You don't want to mess with the pagan stuff that is there. And these apostate Israelite imposters. Is there any danger in them? There was between Samaria. And Jerusalem, there were brigands, and, uh, and so there was a possibility that you might fall among thieves, especially if you were a rich Jew. So there was even that, that sense of it's not necessarily safe, but even more than that, it's going to be hard to go through there and not be unclean by the time you walk through all that. So were those more like extremists and thieves and things like that? It wasn't like the normal city of people. No, it's just those guys that were out there. It's the same ones that were operating on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem that he's going to... 
ironically uh, reference the Good Samaritan, you know, which is really him. Um, okay, so that's the area. Now, if we're going to, let, let's, uh, let's pop over here. Mm. I want you to uh, get out John 4. That's no good. <laughs> How about we get bigger here? That's not helping either. So let's set the table for what's about to happen here. And it is interesting that, that we learn things sometimes from the parables and sometimes from the actual stories. And, and uh, we're going to find out that Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that Jesus had made a greater number of disciples and baptized more. Uh, his disciples did. He's going to depart from Judea and come again to Galilee. Anybody got your scriptures out where you can look at the Joseph Smith uh, footnote for this one. May got that? You don't want to read it in uh, cold husky voice. Okay, Joseph Smith translation says. Wherefore the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than Jesus than John. They sought more diligently uh, some means that they might put him to death. For many received John as a prophet, but they, but they believed not on the Jews. So in other words, Jesus has been down in Jerusalem, and, and the popularity of John is there, but, but now the, the, the leading Jews are seeing that Jesus is becoming even more popular, so that puts the whole process at risk. And Jesus decides, ah, maybe it's time to, uh, to uh, head north. So that's what they're going to do. And they're going to, so now we're going to go north uh, to Sakar. Okay. Jacob's well was there. And and then and now we're going to get uh, Jesus was tired from the journey. So let me let me let me stop for a second here. There are a number of ways to read this story, and part of what makes this story a little bit tougher. Do you ever get a text or an email from somebody, and it seems to be kind of a strong text or a strong word, but you can't read the emotion behind it. You don't know if they're being funny. You don't know if they're being sarcastic. You just, it's just the words. We're just reading words. We're, that we have a major problem with this story because we have the words but we don't have the emotion behind it. Okay, so we're going to have to guess a little bit. So that's one thing I want you to be aware of that we're going to have a hard time recognizing 
the woman's attitude and what she's saying and how she's saying it. Okay, number one. Number two, this story, the woman at the well, there's a number of ways to look at this, but, but let me ask you this. Uh, how did we get this story? How do we know what happened sitting at the well? There's only two witnesses, right? can only come from one of two sources. Either it had to come from Jesus, or it has to come from her, who actually then somehow related it to the author of John. Now, for, for the purposes of today, I think there are a number of little clues that suggest to me that the source for this story is the woman, not Jesus. There are little details that Jesus wouldn't have been privy to that suggest that she's the source. So, in a sense, I want you to see this through her hot, through her eyes, through this whole experience. Okay? Now, so if you start there, Jesus was tired from the journey and he sat upon the well. That's that's very historical. The well has a very kind of a wide uh, stone ring around it, so you could, it, it would make sense. He's also tired. He, he's human. He's walked a long way, and he sits on the well. Some interesting little details. Um, Samaritan women come to draw water. If you are, if you are a woman in a small village in the Near East. And the well is out there. Let me ask you, when do you go get your water? Early in the morning. You want to go in the cool of the morning and you, because you've got to cook and you've got things during the day. So you're going, you're going to go get your water early. You're going to have two things with you. One is going to be, it's a leather pouch. It's a leather vessel. And you prop it open with, with sticks to corner square so that you can then lower that down the well. You get the water, you bring it back up, and then you pour it into an earthen vessel that you then, and then you can actually roll up your leather pouch and take it with you. Okay? So you actually got two things. So they would come early in the morning to get their water. And not only that, it's a great place to socialize. It's the, it, here's the other women, you get the news of the city, we're going to have discussions, uh, we find out what's going on in town, uh, all that good stuff. And then when else might you go get water? In the evening. It's before we're going to bed or when I'm fixing dinner or something like that. And again, you're going to come out, join the other women, and it's just kind of a social kind of place. Uh, to find out what's going on and everything. When is this woman coming? Noon. The heat of the day. Why is she doing that? Her reputation. Yeah, in other words, she's going to be, uh, she isn't able to go join the other women in the morning or in the evening, so she's going to come out when there's nobody else there and she can do it. Uh, because in a small village, what does everybody know about her? Everything. Everything. <laughs> Everything. 
including the fact that she's bounced around from men. We don't know why they go off to get killed or she just bounces around or whatever else is going on. She is now living with guy number five. And so she's got to go in the early, or she's got to go in the midday away from everything else. Okay? So she's going to come in the middle of the day. She's going to go up. Now, as she's walking closely to the well, what's the first thing that she sees? There's a man sitting at the well. Yeah. possible it's possible although it certainly makes sense human nature being what it is and the pariah that she was in the village it makes sense that she would go where the other women weren't it, it just really does and, and it's kind of backed up by Middle Eastern scholars that go oh yeah if you got that kind of reputation you don't want to necessarily be where everybody else is but it's still possible absolutely okay she's gonna so she's gonna as she's walking towards it she's who's she seeing there's a man sitting on the well. Now, as she approaches, it's the man's responsibility when a woman is approaching like that, especially when you know what she's doing, it's your job to back off about 20 feet, give her some space, so that you're not seen talking to a woman who's not your wife in a public place. Okay? He doesn't. He, he stays. He sits. Now, as she draws closer, what does he say? Give me something to drink. Now, all right, tell me the problems with this one. First of all, he's talking to her. What are you doing talking to? Oh, that's way out of And what else? She's a Samaritan. And now she's close enough to see his talit. So now she recognizes he was a man. He's actually a Jew. And then he's going to speak in Aramaic, so it turns out he's not Roman or anything like that. He is a Jew, and he's talking to me. That, uh, so, and then I think the other thing that's fascinating about this, and, and I, someday I'd like to do a whole class on this one, is how the Savior began his missionary work so often by getting people to help him. He got people to serve him as the first step. We want to be the first ones to go serve them. And he says, I need your help, whether it's Peter or whoever it is. So I, I love this sense of drawing her in. And I'm thirsty. So he, I, he really does need her help. I'm tired. I'm dusty. The guys went off to get food. And I'm here alone and I'm thirsty. And he doesn't have his little leather pouch below. No. They, they, yeah, right. They're gone. So he needs her. Now, by the way, so what happens if he drinks out of her pouch? Now he's unclean. Yeah. Which is even more amazing to her that he would be willing to drink out of her pouch. Okay. Uh, so many levels. There, the, he's, just, he's just breaking convention across the board here. Okay. Uh, for his disciples had departed to town that they might purchase food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, and again, you just don't know the tone of voice here. You really don't. How can you, and, and I have to think it's at, at the very least, I don't know that it was completely respectful at first. He's a man. 
He's a Jew. She doesn't know anything about him. Uh, I think at the very least, she's incredibly skeptical. What do you want? Quick question. Why would all of his followers leave him alone? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Apparently he sent them off, I guess. Now, is it possible that one or two lingered? You, just, you don't necessarily get that sense, and there's no indication because it says they all went. So I, he might have said, you know what, sit here, you guys go do this. Because there is another hidden agenda here. Why would he have gone into Samaria in the first place? I respected my husband who talked about when he was uh, talking about this particular story was that the Savior had an appointment with this woman. He had an appointment with her. And how that turned Appointment meeting, he was going to sit down and have a, like a personal interview here. Absolutely. And he's going to do that. So he has a chance to have some privacy here. Um, so the agenda, first of all, is we're thirsty and we're hungry. We need something. But he could have got that in the Transjordan. He didn't have to go through Samaria. There's harvesting to be done here. And watch how he's approaching this thing. But also he's, he's having to teach. Oh, that's... Yes. And especially he's having to teach the disciples. Because this is going to be the same problem that he's got with the, uh, the woman in Tyre who is, going to, who is a Gentile and she's wanting her daughter. And, and he's going, well, I've got to teach these guys that it's all right to teach the Gentiles. And not only just any woman, especially a w the woman. And again, that's one of the things I love about John, and especially Luke, is the women on the fringes. How many adulterous women does he interact with? <laughs> you know, how many Gentile women does he? How how many widows? How many? These are the women on the fringes, and he is he's ministering like crazy to these guys. And, and yet, for the disciples that are learning at his feet, these are women that they all would have passed by. They never would have gone anywhere near the woman with the issue of blood. They're just excluding all of these people. And he's trying to say, pay attention to them and watch me minister to them, whether they are Jewish, whether they're Samaritan, whether they're widows, whether they are adulterous, it doesn't matter. Pay attention to them. And he could have just had the water come out. And... <laughs> yeah, that's right. He had the ability to control that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. So, so he's going to have her help him. He wants to save her. He's going to save her by doing what? Starting off by having her help him. But he's got to educate her and the disciples. Peter's still going to struggle with this even after the Savior's death. That it might be all right to teach Gentiles. Yeah. It's also interesting to me how he often tries to use women to bring that message. I think of when he was resurrected and Mary came back and told everyone, hey, this is what's going on. Just kind of coming and saying, hey, this is what's going on. This is his first missionary. Yeah. He, after the interview, he's going to call her on a mission. <laughs> first one, and it's going to be a Gentile woman. Oh, I love how Uthorf has said in his missionary talk, Come and see. Come and help. Yes. I need your help. Help me with something. Okay? So, again, we don't know her tone of voice. How can you, being a Jew, 
ask a drink of me who is a Samaritan woman. And I just think that's at the very least skeptical. Come on. Really? What are you up to here? You can't really be serious. How? Come on. You're a Jew. You're asking me. And then, okay, now, Jesus responds to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me something to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, that changes things. At the very least, when she first comes to the well, what does she see? A thirsty man. As she gets closer, she sees that he's a Jew. Now he's talking about the gift of God. Now what has he evolved into? Like a rabbi. Now he's a teacher. Oh, this is a religious guy. because He's trying to teach me something. Probably a rabbi. Well, that's interesting. And they're looking for a teacher. And they are looking for a teacher, yeah. But not thirsty ones that sit on the well <laughs> talking to women. <laughs> if you knew the gift of God, and, and really the, the gift of God so often for them uh, would be the same thing, gift of God, we might say to uh, uh, someone who's Baptist, they say, what's the gift of God? They would say, the word of God. The gift of God primarily for the Samaritans was the Pentateuch. Follow the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, and you'll be saved. And he's going to say, if you knew who it was that said, give me something to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now we get this concept of living water. Um, as thirsty as I am, I'm going to suggest living water. Now, um, she said to him, and again, this could still really be skeptical. Sir, which is a little bit more respect, you have nothing to draw water with. Yeah, they did take whatever leather pouches they had. You don't have anything to draw water with. And the well is deep. From what source are you going to give me living water? Okay, and you're not quite sure whether she's trying to just be obtuse here or very literal. <laughs> I think she's curious. I think she's, he, yeah. Now, then she's going to cross over and this gives you some idea about kind of where she is. She's certainly Samaritan. She's not, gonna, she's not pagan. But now she's now sensing that she's having a theological conversation with a rabbi. She's going to shift over. And she's going to say, Huh, are you greater than who? Our father, Jacob. Uh -huh. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Because where did Jacob dig his well? In Samaria. <laughs> He did that Jacob's well is not sitting in Jerusalem. It's sitting here. This is Jacob's well. We have Joseph's bones. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us this well and he drank from it, as did his 
sons and animals. And, and I love how Jesus just kind of sidesteps that. Now we're going to talk about greater. Yeah. This might be common knowledge, but I don't know. Is like that well, was that considered holy ground? A bit. At the very least, it was seen when, when, he's, when he's talking about the, the gift of God, they very much saw this as a gift from their father Jacob. So it wasn't necessarily like we worship here. If they're going to worship, they'll go up on Mount Gerizim. Okay? At the, but at the very least, it was seen as a gift from Jacob, their father, to them. And they're very grateful for that. Okay? So Jesus sidesteps it. Everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again, but everyone who drinks the water that I give will never thirst. And the water that I give will be in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. You get this beautiful message that is being given to her. Okay, now. So we're going to talk about living water. And the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or have to come to this place to draw water. Still not quite sure where we're going with this. Okay. Okay, you're a rabbi and you're introducing this idea of living water, but at the very least, and this, this might have been just a little bit skeptical or even sarcastic, I'll, I'll get living water. This is a lot of work to have to go back and forth and haul the pot back and forth across town. Uh, so if you've got some way to dig this thing. Um, now, how, is he gonna, how does he then get her attention? He's about, to, he's about to be elevated from rabbi to prophet. <laughs> he started off as a thirsty man. He kind of became a Jew. Ah, apparently he's a rabbi. He's about to get another status upgrade in her eyes. Beautifully done. Go call your husband <laughs> and come here. Oh, and the woman responded, well, I don't have a husband. <laughs> I really don't have a husband. Okay. Um, I have a sin and I'm hiding it. Jesus says, you've said correctly, I do not have a husband. You've had five husbands and now the one you're with is not your husband. You have told the truth in this regard. You actually were honest. You just didn't tell the whole truth. And the woman said, whoa, I can see that you're a, a prophet. Now, she can do it. Now she, now she does the sidestepping. Rather than respond to what he just said, and now she's talking to a rabbi prophet, she's going to shift gears just a little bit and she's going to go back to this idea the, the difference between Jews and Samaritans. So we talked about our father Jacob. Now she's going to say, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Our fathers who? The Samaritan fathers. Okay, Worshipped on what mountain? Gerizim. They're at, the they're at the base of Mount Gerizim. You can look up and see the ruins up there from, from down here. Okay? Our fathers worshipped at this mountain. 
So we believe that this is where the Holy Spirit, the Shankinah, the, 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 the light of God would exist if, there, if we had a temple. Our fathers worshiped here. So she's kind of heading off into a, if you're a prophet, let's find out what kind of prophet and whose prophet you are. Are you a Samaritan prophet? Are you a Jewish prophet? I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into this whole discussion about our fathers worshiped on the mountain. What's she really doing? Avoiding. She's avoiding the sin. Let's not talk about my sins. <laughs> Let's talk about, it's easier, but, but what could also be behind this? If he's uh, just exposed her sin, what is she looking for? The source. The, the source of? His knowledge. Uh, and healing. Okay? If you now know my sins, let's talk about where I should be going on that. So I think it's, the, I, and the light's coming on here. Okay? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you said, so in other words, where should I go? But you say that Jerusalem is the place where people should worship. I can't go down. Could she go down to Jerusalem? No, no. No, no, no. She'd get, she, she, not only is she adulterous, but she is a Samaritan woman. She wouldn't make it very far into the temple precinct. Yeah, she's not angry, but she is kind of changing the subject. That's what I say. So she, so she does a little shift here. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, and I think this is kind of important here. Jesus said to the woman, the hour will come when neither on this mountain, Gerizim, or nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In fact, where is she going to end up worshiping the Father? Right there. Right in town. It's about to happen. Okay? Will you worship the Father? You have not understood what you worship. Uh, a week or so ago, we were at uh, Mars Hill, and Paul is saying to the... Uh, at the Areopolis to, to them so you don't even know what you're worshipping let me tell you who you worship you're talking about this unknown God I've got the God that created the gods you're you know you just got the God I, I've got the, the creator God I'm going to talk to you about okay so it's kind of you don't know who you worship what uh, we had we have understood what we worship because and this is so critical Salvation is from who? The Jews. Now, when Paul and the disciples are going to go off into uh, Greece and Thessalonica and all over the place, and they're reaching out to the Gentiles, salvation is still from the Jews. And it isn't like they're, that Christianity is going to ignore Judaism. It is... It is Paul going out to bring, bring Gentiles into Christianity, Judaism, connected to all the covenants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what, and so he's saying it's through the Jews to get to the covenants that, that you, you deserve. Okay? 
Salvation is from the Jews, but the hour comes and is now that true worshipers will kneel before the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such people to worship like you. God is spirit, to which uh, the Joseph Smith translation says, Say it louder. For unto such hath God promised his spirit, and they who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There we go. Okay. Those nice places that Joseph cleaned up. God, we're going to worship God in spirit, and those who worship him should do so in spirit and truth. And the woman says to him, I know that the Messiah comes. We are waiting for a Messiah who is called Christ. When he comes, he will make known all things to us. And then on this spot, to all of all people, he would say, I am the Christ who speaks to you. That's remarkable. I am the Christ. Now, in the middle of all of this, his disciples come. And they're amazed that he spoke to the woman. And again, I can hear her saying, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? But it is going to be a little tense and uncomfortable. And she's just been told that the Messiah is standing in front of her and he knows everything that she's ever done. So as the disciples walk up, I think it's an uncomfortable moment and that's her chance to take leave. I'm now going to leave. And, but she's picking up on the fact that they're not questioning him. And then she left her water jar. That is a little detail that a woman would remember. <laughs> She just she doesn't take the jar back. She's so struck by this whole thing. She leaves her jar behind and and leaves. Okay. Then she left her water jar, and the woman went into town and said to the people, "Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Can this be the Christ?" She now becomes his first missionary. This is even before he's sending the twelve out. She's his first missionary, and she's Gentile. Can this be the Christ? By the way, do we have any other time when, when women are going to be out preaching to men to tell them that something significant has happened? When is that? Mary? Yeah. That, that were there in the tomb. And, and their job by the angel is to go do what? Go tell the guys. Go tell the guys he's resurrected. And I think this parallels that. It's that moment when the, when the good news is being proclaimed by a woman to men. Now, generally, men aren't very good at responding because that is like, what did she say? I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> and it hurts me that going back to the people she was trying to avoid. Yes. Could be. Going out to the well in the middle of the day, she didn't have to see anyone, and now she goes back, and she's been so struck and changed that she yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah. Do you think that she was so excited to talk to them, she actually intentionally left her pot there so she could run faster? I, I do. I think she's. Yeah. I think she's hustling. Yeah, she's like, I'm gonna go. I was just told. I was just told that the Christ is here. The Messiah is here. We're not necessarily expecting a conqueror. We're expecting a great teacher, and he knows me. He, he's showing me something. This is just something that came into my head, but could it also be she left a water jar? Because she's leaving her past behind her. That, that has been, over the centuries, your, your, your thinking has been, a number of scholars have said, this is symbolic of leaving behind her old life and going, and that's possible. Uh, leaving the, the, the regular water, and she's now going to go share the living water, and I think that's possible. But even more than that, I think this is proof that this is her story. It's just these little details that keep showing up that would have maybe been left if, if somebody else was just telling a general overview. Okay? Yeah? Yeah. 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 They would say, yes, and I think that's true. In other words, as they're showing up and they're they're looking with disapproval and everything, and her guild is there, she would have immediately wanted to be out of that presence. But from him, she's feeling love and caring and acceptance, and he's sharing with her incredible truth that he may not have shared that clearly anywhere else. Yeah. Do you think Christ was frustrated at all that they just ran her off? Yes. Oh, to a set. Yes. Hang on to that idea. Okay. So she's saying, could, could uh, he be frustrated in the way that they treated her? Yes. He's going to be. He's going to respond a number of times when the disciples aren't treating people well. Little children. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood. The the woman with the with the uh, daughter that's possessed entire. There's a number of places where he's trying to say, treat them better. Treat them better. Okay, so so she left her water jar. She goes into town. She says, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? I think she left the water pot because she was coming right back. Yeah, and, and that's right. That's the other thing too. I'm going out there, but man, I'm coming back here because what more does he know and what, what is he bringing? I, I agree with that, yeah. Uh, and look what happens. They went out of town and came to him. So they're listening to her. They're believing her. They're coming. I do think there's something to the fact that they would have been of the tribe of Ephraim. Maybe there's... The old, we don't talk about the believing blood much anymore, but in the early couple of decades ago, the believing blood, Ephraim responds to the gospel message and perks up. Yeah? What are your thoughts on the Isaiah 2 Nephi piece about Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim? And does that apply here? Yeah, a little bit, because it's talking about the fact that the animosity anciently between the tribes that they kind of glumped under Ephraim and Judah over here and how King David's trying to bring them together. Isaiah's talking about that moment when finally these, the, the boys will stop fighting. <laughs> we'll bring them together. And, and in a sense, isn't it interesting that 
the place that he's going to reveal that he is the Christ, he's going to people from the tribe of Ephraim. I think there's something to that. Uh, can't prove it, but it just is very striking to me. Uh, they went out of town and came to him. In the meantime, the disciples were saying, Rabbi, eat. And he says, I've found food to eat. You know not what. Uh, oh, really? They said, did someone bring him something to eat? And he says, no, my food is that I may do the will of him that sent me, that I may complete this work. I have the living bread. And my meat, my job, my responsibility, and I'm, and I'm harvesting. I'm in the act of harvesting. You guys don't recognize this. So we've got to break it down. Um, do not say there's still four months and then the harvest comes. So we know this is in the spring. I say unto you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are already white for harvest. And it wouldn't surprise me if this is very literal. He's having this discussion with them. She's run off. And in fact, in the timing of it, you'll go back, it says, uh, uh, they went, she says, can this be the Christ? They went out of town and came to him. So that could be pretty immediate. And he's saying, um, the field is white for harvest. The one who harvests receives wages and fruit. Uh, for teaching is true in this regard. One sows and the other harvests. I just sowed, guys. Plow. Harvest. Go get them. I sent you to harvest what you did not work for. And others have worked and you received the benefits of their labor. And in the middle of that, he's going to say, look at the fruits. And what, what are they probably looking at? Here comes the guys out of town. They're walking towards the well. I, I think there's a moment that is very... could possibly be very literal look guys turn around look see here they come here comes the harvest many Samaritans out of that town believed in him because the word of the woman John makes sure that that's it there why did they believe they believed on the word of the woman and because she believed on his word they believed on the word of the woman who testified he told me everything that I have ever done. Now, I love this, and it has to come from her. This last piece is the final piece for me that says this is her story that was somehow conveyed to the writer of John. This would be her experience. When the Samaritans, and you want a great sacred meeting talk, here it is. When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his teachings. And then this, they said to the woman, they believed on him because of her. But then they turn and they say to him, to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Based on her testimony. That's amazing. Yeah. And just the thought about her, I mean, if you're going with the story that, you know, um, she wants to be around isn't that amazing I, I think because uh, uh, on the surface it would have said 
Because I think some of them kind of would have come out as it's almost, it might be like a sideshow. She's saying this, there's a guy out there that seems to be able to tell people's fortunes or he knows their stuff. He knows their history without them knowing. So there, that might have been one of the reasons why they came. Because there's no other way that he would have known. I had five husbands. Wow, really? And, but then they get a chance to go out and be taught the true gospel. And like her, it changes from, I just thought he was a guy. Then he turned out he was a Jew. Whoa, then he turns out he's a rabbi. Now he's a prophet. He's the Messiah. That transition, I think sometimes you come out of, come and see out of curiosity for whatever reason, and then it gets confirmed and it changes. I think maybe her countenance changed. Yeah, yeah, you think yeah, she's filled. Because not only did he know about that, know about her history, but he wasn't shunning her. He loved her. Uh, he was accepting things from her. And suddenly, rather than the town, she's being accepted by this. Well, and she's been in the presence of Christ. Yeah, and she would have heard. Uh, can you imagine the look in his eyes when she says, He that stands before you is the Christ? And that, that would have gone right to her soul, I think. How could, how could it not? So, yeah. It's so interesting that he doesn't, throughout his life, and it kind of reflects his birth as well, that he goes to the very lowest. He doesn't go to those with authority or power. Yeah. He goes to the, the very lowest, the very most humble. And those are the people take his message. Yeah, and they hear it. And, and every missionary in every town will tell you the same story, right? The missionary work happening in the wealthier neighborhoods doesn't go well. It's in the poorer areas. Those that have needs are willing to hear the message. So, yeah. One thing I started doing years ago, well, whenever I first started doing the I would focus on the paintings. And there's a beautiful painting of the woman at the well in our foyer. Yeah. And it's just a huge sign to me that there's living water here. Yeah. And, and again, so I, that's what I love about this message. We get two messages here. There is, there is regular water, but there is living water. There is meat in the town, but the real bread is the people coming out of the town. The real harvest is that and and they stay for days and a number of people accept the gospel in Samaria. I mean that's and the Gentile work has begun. We are all the townspeople and yet we've we've learned from our parents their experience with with the Savior. We've learned from teachers. We've even had some miracles, but unless we come to that we know it is true the Savior's world for ourselves. Yeah. See that's why I think there's a great sacrament meeting talk. <laughs> in here about saying we're going to hear it somewhere but there comes a point where we now get it for ourselves yeah they were seen as gentiles because they were a mix of the persians pagans that had come in and mixed with the samaritans so even though they had the some of the blood of ephraim in there uh they would have been seen very much as from the jews as gentiles because they were as, as unclean as the Gentiles were. The Samaritans didn't see themselves as unclean or Gentiles. But that's the way they were seen as Jews. So to get the disciples to go preach to the Samaritans was as bad as trying to get them to go to Caesarea and preach to the Romans. It was, it was on that level. So, 
Okay, a lot there, huh? Great, great stuff. Um, let, let, me, let me finish with this. Um, I think in these stories, um, I, heard a, I heard a quote from uh, Tom Wayman uh, that I was listening to. He says, sometimes his, his disappointment in some of our classes is that when we teach a class, we're using the scriptures and we, and we try and get out of the scriptures as fast as we can. You know, we may use a quote from the scripture, but then go on to something else and talk about general principles. And he says, we leave the scriptures too fast. Notice what we just did. We just, we just spent an hour on one little section here without going anywhere else. The, the scriptures, if we'll take them slowly enough and dig in them, there's such meat here. Don't be, when you teach a class, don't be so fast to leave the scriptures. They are real people having these experiences, and, and we need to understand that, because then they live for us, and the scriptures become fascinating, rather than, I gotta, we're going to talk about charity, and I'm going to do like two verses out of 1 Corinthians 13, and then get on to other stuff. Stay with the scriptures and pull the meat out that was intended. Um, I bear you my testimony. That's, that's our goal as a class. I'm looking forward to picking this up uh, probably, what, the week after Labor Day? Uh, and we will rock and roll, and we're going to keep on going with, with this stuff. Um, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.